It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Good afternoon. Today is March 31st, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tani Levitt. For the first time in five weeks, coming to you from the same place two weeks in a row. That is right. You are hearing me live from my car. And today in my car, we have a special, special show for you. As you may know, the world is um, going through some changes, let's say. But here on the College Basketball Show, 24-7 Sports, we have content for you every single week. And for the past few weeks, we've been running a series of interviews with Final Four, Hall of Fame caliber head coaches. And this week is no different. The newest show in the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network is called The Life of Fitz, hosted by our own Tim Fitzgerald from the Kansas State Podcast. He is now tapping into his vast Rolodex from his years of covering the sport and just having conversations. Tim is very experienced and has interacted with many, many people, and he's really good at what he does. His interviews are awesome, and this past week, he sat down with former Kansas State head coach and current South Carolina head coach, Final Four coach, Frank Martin. Frank Martin coached uh, at Kansas State in the early 2010s, then left after a falling out with uh, some of the administration, moved to South Carolina, took South Carolina to a Final Four, one that nobody was expecting and now is experiencing his second rebuild uh, in his time down in Columbia. So before we get to uh, that interview with Tim Fitzgerald and Frank Martin, I do want to touch on uh, uh, one quick thing. That is, yesterday, the NCAA announced that winter sport athletes will not get an extra year of eligibility after they canceled the winter seasons. That is as expected. And also, as expected, spring athletes will be granted an extra year of eligibility. But unfortunately for our basketball people, that does not apply to basketball, which is a winter sport. So for all of you hoping that you know, you were going to get some extra guys back. Michigan State was hoping they could get Cassius Winston back. Maryland, it would have been nice. Anthony Cowan come back. And yeah, every school has seniors that they would have loved to have back. That's not going to happen. And for schools like Gonzaga, schools like Creighton, who are getting the vast majority, and in Creighton's case, pretty much the, the entirety of their roster back, uh, things are looking really good for them now that the NCAA made this announcement. Now, one last thing before we get to Frank Martin, and that is today, HBO released The Scheme, which is a documentary about Christian Dawkins, the player agent who was at the center of the FBI investigation into college basketball. As we already know, per a number of sources, 
There's tape on this documentary of Will Wade, LSU's head coach, Sean Miller, Arizona's head coach, speaking with Christian Dawkins uh, in supposedly incriminating ways. We already know the content of what these people say, but it'll be, you know, it is different to hear in these people's own voices the things they said. So today I'm going to be watching that show. And later this week, we're going to have an episode for you breaking down the documentary, revisiting the FBI investigation reimagining what this means for the sport, what still is left to come from this FBI investigation. So that should be coming for you later this week. So without further ado, we're going to go now to Tim Fitzgerald interviewing Frank Martin on the Life of Fitz podcast. This is the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. Veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage 4 prostate cancer, so my doctors advise me to stay home during these COVID-19 concerns. So what am I doing with my time? I'm calling some of the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who have been part of my life during more than 30 years in journalism. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. Time has forgotten much of Kansas State basketball history because when Bob Huggins was hired by then-athletics director Tim Weiser at K-State in 2006, the school's basketball program had not won an NCAA tournament game since 1988 when Lon Kruger took the Wildcats to the Elite Eight. Huggins brought with him some controversy, but a sense of hope when he arrived in Manhattan, and he also brought a mostly unknown associate head coach named Frank Martin. One year later, Huggins' alma mater, West Virginia, needed a new coach, and Huggs headed home. Weiser immediately elevated Martin, who had impressed many in Manhattan once they met the man from Miami, whose roots reach back to Cuba, and his accent sounds like the Bronx. Frank and I became fast friends, something that isn't always advised between coach and reporter, but when he was the head coach, he was not free of me challenging him with questions, sometimes about a sideline demeanor that didn't match the man we knew off the court, and I certainly wasn't free from that signature Martin Glare or the occasional phone call to sort out a disagreement. Martin seemed ready for a long stay in Manhattan, but Weiser left for the Big 12 office and eventually a new university president hired John Curry to be athletics director. A toxic relationship between Curry and Martin drove Martin after a loss in the round of 32 of the 2012 NCAA tournament to become the head coach at South Carolina. Martin built the Gamecocks from the ground up and put the long-suffering program in the 2017 Final Four, something no one in Columbia, South Carolina expected. With a little unexpected time off from the office and working with his players, Martin is free to chat, so let's give him a call. Hello. Hey, Coach. How are you doing? Oh, man. No complaints other than the fact that, like the rest of us, I'm a little tired of being in my house. <laughs> I don't even have kids. I, I have dogs. I'm doing fine here. I I guess uh, I work a lot from home. I'm, I'm not around people all day long like you are. It's yeah. It's got to be weird. It's just got to be weird not to be around your players and, and uh, staff and just doing basketball things. Yeah, I mean, this time of year, uh, you're either running a practice uh, because you're still playing 
or you're on the road recruiting. It's, it's, uh, you're just wired, you know, and after you do it for so long, you know, your, your body, your brain is just wired uh, to be on the go at this time of year. And all of a sudden it's like, turn everything off. And, uh, you feel like you're doing something wrong, you know, it's, yeah. uh, uh, it's like you sit around and you're like, wait a second, man. I, I, I know I'm screwing something up here. And, uh, so coaches are being forced to reinvent recruiting in the form of distant recruiting. You got to stay away from people. So you got to recruit via social media, phone, text, whatever you can do legally. Actually, it's the way it was, you know, uh, back in the, probably from the late eighties to the late nineties, uh, where there was no such thing as July recruiting and AAU weekends in April that didn't exist. Uh, you recruited through the high schools, you recruited on the phone and you recruited, um, uh, through film, you know, you got a lot of film and that's kind of what we're doing right now. I'm filmed out from <laughs> the season. Um, but I know my assistants have been watching film on, on a bunch of transfers that even though we don't have an open scholarship, you, you have to, because of the other part of it is your players are not on campus right now. Yeah. So we're, we're in a, the landscape that we're in, uh, guys are just transferring to transfer just for no reason. It's not like they're unhappy. They just, yeah, let me just try something new. And, and so you, you have to recruit, even though, even though you don't have scholarships, you have to actively recruit and and be aggressive and and have guys on call uh because you you know i can get a phone call or a text message any day and have one of the guys tell me hey i'm I'm gonna put my name in the portal and with me it's real simple once they put their name in the portal go i'm getting somebody else um i'm I'm not against transfers but if if we're not sexy enough for you man where you think you need to find something sexier i'm gonna go find somebody who thinks i'm really sexy Got to be all in. If, yeah. Even if you come back, you're not quite all that's, in. I I would think that's correct. Yeah. Once once I'm I'm cool with the conversations. I'm cool with with uh, everyone understanding. You know my vision, their vision. Uh, I, I'm cool with having to explain all that. I got no problem with that. Um, but if they put their name in the portal, I'm not going back. I'm I'm moving forward. I wonder how that work in a relationship. Hey, hon, I'm going to put my name into the. Transfer portal. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what's out there and available. Uh, and if it doesn't work out, I'll come back. Yeah, yeah. It's a good way to end up dead. Your your ten pairs of shoes will be in the front lawn when you come back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it. I'm kind of torn over this new transfer legislation where a kid will get a free transfer, go play immediately. I get student athlete rights, but also I understand the. Just Pandora's boxes opens up. There just it'll just be chaos out there. I'm not, I'm not for it, Tim. Yeah, I'm I'm in, in my private conversations uh, with the board of directors and NCAA folks and all that. I me there's a bunch of us coaches. We're, we're in, especially in basketball, which is the sport I obviously deal with. We're we're against it. Um, the push for all this is coming from the the rich people sports. Um, the golfers, the you know, the, all those other sports. That's where the push is coming from, because uh, they're not on full scholarship. Number one, uh, number two, um, they they 
you know, they, they all have all the, the individual sports. That's where all this legislation's come down for, you know, us having less time, time management, all this. T- uh, it's all coming from those sports. Why? Because they got their private coaches. So the gymnast practices with the school, but when you know, the school day's over, they go practice with their private coach. You know, who's it's the way those sports work. Same thing with with the tennis players and the same thing with the golfers. They they all got like their private coaches. So we're getting blamed like we're the ones that work them out too much. It's not us. It's the amount of time they put in with private coaches. And that's that's where it's all coming from. And then the same thing with the transfers. But I'm, I'm totally against it. I, I proposed something at the board of directors a year ago or so. And I said, listen, if we're going to lose the fight because we got no grounds to stand on, then we need to create the avenue that we lose the fight on. We, we can't just give in and say, so my proposition was if at the end of the first semester of a student's second year at a school, okay, so that means if it's a, a, you know, a guy that starts with me, it would be at the end of the first semester of his sophomore year or his second year in school. He wants to leave. He can leave and be eligible immediately at his next school. So if he transfers mid-year, then he gets the rest of that year back, and then he starts the following year at school B from day one, and he's got three three to play. Does that make sense what I yeah, just said? it does, yeah. If they transfer at the end of their sophomore year, then they can play immediately uh, because most transfers are during their junior year. And now by giving them a one-time transfer exception, then you negate this graduate transfer stuff. So you give them a one-time transfer exception and you tell them, once you use it, it's over. I don't care when you transfer again, for what reasons you have to sit out if you transfer a second time. And, uh, and that way, graduate transfers, now you want to make it about academics? Okay. So you, you, you choose to transfer again as a graduate transfer, but you already used your one-time exception. So now, as a grad transfer, you have to sit out, and now there's no more shenanigans about, you know, mercenaries. Most grad programs are two years. Okay, so you sit out. And uh, the NCAA automatically, you did your schoolwork, we respect it, so we're going to grant you that sixth year so you can play your second year as a grad transfer. Um, and I proposed that, and it kind of got legs. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's still, still in the conversations. Um, Tim, how do you feel as a person that's involved in sports, but you're not a coach, you're not a player? About the transfer what? rule? Well, hold on. Yeah. People try to compare the athletes to the coaches leaving whenever they want. And like I left K-State, it cost me uh, 42% on $1,250 because that was my buyout. So when I left K-State, I, you know, uh, South Carolina paid the buyout, but I had to pay taxes on the buyout, which is 42% of that, which is a big chunk of money. Man. Um. So, you know, why, why is that argument even valid when we, yeah, we leave, but we got to pay money. It's, we don't leave for free now. <laughs> it costs us a chunk of money when we make these decisions. Yeah, I agree with that. I, you know, I've never gotten too wrapped up in that. I, I understand that the argument, hey, coaches can get up and leave and they're coaching the next year and that's fine. 
Um, I can't imagine the free transfer rule with a new coach coming in. Your entire team could leave. Mm -hmm. Your entire team could leave. And I don't know what an institution would do at that point. And at the same time, I kind of get the – the interest of the player too. I wanted to play for Frank Martin, not someone else, or I wanted to play for this guy and you know, it just didn't work well, out. Fitz, Fitz, think think about this one to your point. Okay. With this free agency stuff, when I made the decision to leave K State, all right, Rodney Magruder, Thomas Gibson, Angel Rodriguez, Adrian Diaz, oh Jordan Enriquez, he would have come too. Mm. All those guys are all would have left. Now, I get up and leave K-State not because of the job or the players, just because I didn't get along with my boss, and I just I couldn't do it, and I leave. If that transfer thing was in, in place, all those guys would have transferred and played here. Yeah. Yep. So now instead of K-State winning a Big 12, that program's ruined. You know, and that's a crying shame. That shouldn't happen. It led to some strange things. You left for South Carolina, a job that nobody really wanted. Um, I've always told people it, it emphasized how desperate you were to get away from John Curry. It was toxic. Everything about it was toxic. It wasn't just you either. Other people were having the same toxic relationships. We've Everyone at Tennessee found out about the toxic nature of his mm-hmm. ability mm-hmm. to lead. And I say all that understanding from a facility standpoint, he did some really good things at Kansas State. He's, he's an outstanding fundraiser. He finally got that damn practice facility built that Lon Kruger wanted when he was at K-State, and now it's finally standing. He, he got the ball rolling on a lot of things. But the management of people uh, to this day really bothers me. Some of the things he did to, to friends of mine, marching him out of the building when he fired him. Uh, I don't understand that. And I, honest to God, Coach, I don't understand how the guy got another job. As an AD, I don't understand it at all. I say it all the time. He, he, you know, John did an incredible job at uh, making K-Staters believe him bigger. Right. You know, because uh, unfortunately, that was the one challenge uh, that that we had at K-State was to get people to believe that you can do it bigger, you know, and that you can build a nicer building and you can improve to a big degree. Uh, that that it's okay to raise more money. It's okay to, and he did that. He he, you know, he he got people to grow and 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 do a lot more, which was needed at K State, you know, because the Big Twelve was changing. College athletics at the Power Five level was changing, and whoever didn't change was going to get left behind. And I think we all lived that. If you remember uh, the time when. Uh, Texas was talking about leaving the league and, and the Big 12 falling apart. You know, us in Kansas, we we're going to get left out. Yep. And and a lot of it had to do with just being behind and and how we did things. And, and let's be honest, football, both programs were behind as to what was needed uh, to compete on a on a national level. Uh, and uh, he changed that all that over there. He, sure he, did. he got pe- he got people to believe in. You know, it's okay to to make it bigger. It's okay to work and believe and, and, you know, nobody can ever take that away from him. And he's driven that way. Um, at the end of the day, it's my decision to come here. There are a lot of factors involved. Um, you know, uh, I just, I got to a place where I needed to change. I just, I needed to take a deep breath and, 
and and I just needed to change, man. And I, I left some dear, dear friends behind and Coach Snyder for starters. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about co-coaches that became we all became friends. To this day, we continue to communicate. Brad Hill, uh, you know, Susie, um, you know, it's uh, uh, like just uh, I, I got to spend time with some incredible people. Uh, you know, Casey that used to run the equestrian program. Um, you know, I remember, you know, her calling me when they just disbanded the program out of nowhere, you know, and, and she was losing her mind. And, you know, Deb, you know, Deb and, uh, you know, Deb, Deb and I spoke on the phone the night I was making the decision to come here. Um, you know, it, it was, uh, coach Snyder and I spoke that night too. It's, it's, it's just, uh, I, I had to take a deep breath and, and, you know, I just, I, I needed to hit the restart button. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and then obviously, you know, John continued to, to, to build that program and, and, and build, you know, what they've done with that football stadium. Yeah. It's mind boggling. It's beautiful. And I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. What, uh, like you said, the basketball facility, we worked day and night hugs, uh, me, uh, Kurt McGuffin, Bob Krausmus, may he rest in peace. Uh, we fold. Tim Weiser, everybody put in time and, and, you know, we, we, they wanted to get it done, but, but it just couldn't get people on board to, to give the money and uh, the kind of money that needed to be given. And, and then everybody, you know, was worried about bonding and the whole thing. And in comes John and he, he changed that whole mindset there, you know, and it's, uh, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame that, that, uh, uh, that, that I guess everything ended up the way it did uh, for everybody, you know, but it's, uh, still kind of the way it works, man. You know, you, you kind of, uh, you live, you learn, you, 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 you understand what people do well, what they don't. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure there's people who have, uh, you know, uh, opinions of me that it was time for me to move too. So it's, it's just life. It's just life. And, but I, what I do know is that, uh, even eight years removed, uh, that, that, you know, Manhattan and Kansas and K-State and the people uh, are still very dear to my family, my wife, myself, you know, we've got a son, a son born there. So it's always going to be a big part of my family. It is interesting to look at the history of Kansas State sports and facilities. Bramlage Coliseum is a monument to doing things half-ass. It really is. It, uh-huh. it, it It's nice playing facility, but as you well know, the Everything underneath the arena is just—it's not up to standard. It's not what what you need. They're they're working on a plan to dig out what the west side of it and have a ground level entrance and tunnels on that side where people can enter at a lower level. It'll be interesting to see if they can pull that off and what they'll do if uh, how long that construction takes. But John did change the conversation. Now when they build things at Kansas State, they build it right. They build it for long lasting. They don't cut corners. And and they get people to donate. It's all donated money that it's absolutely incredible what's happened. But managing people, no, nah, not so much. Uh, not so much. It, it was unfortunate, but you did go to South Carolina. You did uh, take a program that was down on its luck historically, not just for a few years, uh, for a little span there, and get it to the Final Four. I, I'm wondering, though, was the, the build, the initial build that got you to the Final Four more difficult or life after the final four when you had to rebuild again. And now you're dealing with the expectations you've created. Um, uh, the initial build is like really, really hard. 
because uh, there was apathy, and there was not just apathy. It's hard to overcome. Um, yeah, there was, and the apathy was not just in the locker room. The apathy was in the media. The apathy was in the fan base and the former players within the administration. Um, you know, I knew when I made the decision to take the job that there were a lot of challenges. It was a lot harder than I ever expected once I got here. There, 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 was, there were times during my third year uh, where I just sat in, you know, in the locker room by myself and, and I kind of uh, I sat back and I always wondered, like, like, I don't know if I can do this. But we figured it out. Uh, you know, Fitz, I don't know if you remember, you've heard this story before, but uh, the first game I ever coached, you know, and I'm coming, you know, at K-State, there was not apathy. There was just uh, uh, everybody was searching for the belief that we can do this. And hugs gave everyone that belief. And and then when I took over, I was able to, because uh, we kept everyone together, the players, the coaches, we were able uh, to, to continue to build on the enthusiasm that hugs kind of gave everyone hugs, gave everyone at K-State a belief that we could do this again. And, uh, um, and, but here there was complete apathy and the first game we ever coached here, which is it's one of the great stories, you know, it's, we, we, our buildings over 18,000 people. And it's the first game that we ever coach in the building. Uh, there might've been 3000 people in the stands and uh, the game's going on, and we're down 18 early in the second half to Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And there's a guy sitting across the court on courtside seats, which there was, you know, I don't, I'm going to take a guess. There's maybe, you know, 50 to 60 of them, and maybe 10 were filled. And he's sitting directly across from our bench with his two kids. And the game's going on, and the cell, his cell phone rings. And we can hear the cell phone from the bench. And he answers the cell phone and we're coaching the game and I'm staring across the court and he's having a conversation with someone on the phone and I can hear it clearly. And he's he's on the phone. He's like, yeah, I'm over at this game. You know, ah, it's the same deal. They stink. It's just embarrassing. You know, no one here, bad game, you know, da, 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 da. And he's, let me just call you when I get out of here. He hangs up the phone and I turn around and I, I look at the bench and, you know, those are the same guys that were with us at K-State. I look at the bench and I, I, you know, I tell Brad and and Fig and them, I'm like, did you guys just see what happened? And they're like looking at me with this look of disbelief. And I said, what have we gotten ourselves into? And Matt Figger looked right at me. He says, we, what have you gotten us into? <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, and that, that was a staple. That moment right there is what told me like, this is getting ready to be really, really hard. Uh, you know, and then you go through the journey and, and, and you look back and, you know, we, we probably this year averaged, I haven't looked at the numbers. I'd say somewhere around 13,000 a game. Uh, we've been top four in attendance in the sec five of the last six years. I believe, uh, we were top 20 in the country in attendance three years in a row. Uh, it dropped off last year and I don't know where we're at this year. You know, it's, it's, we've, uh, we, we've created a, an interest for basketball. Um, uh, you know, if, if you look back when we got to K-State, you know, everyone said, well, you know, K-State hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since I don't remember. I think it was 1988 or something like that. Uh, when Hudson, you know, when we all got there, which is 20 years. Well, when we went to the NCAA tournament in 17, 
this school had not had not won a game in the tournament since 1972 mm. and uh, we're in a better place now you know we we do the annual legends weekend which didn't exist before we got here we had over 100 former players come in this year um uh, we we you know we've we've continued to tie the past with the present uh and 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 pay respect to everyone before and uh, we we've been able to recruit some good players that that came in as highly regarded players and had success, and we've recruited some other guys that didn't come in as highly rec- uh, touted, and did the Jacob Pullins and and worked their tails off, and then gone on to have tremendous success. Um, and then the the second part to your question, which is post Final Four, well, what happens is we we lost a McDonald All American early to the NBA draft. Uh, after that season, which you got to be prepared. But when you're trying to rebuild a program, it's hard. Uh, it's it's hard to replace that guy. And, uh, um, you know, what, what got us is not just that P.J. Dozier declared for the NBA draft, but then the two guards that I had lined up uh, to uh, take on that responsibility – um, the two that I believe those were the ones, uh, one of them, uh, I got, I had to put out of school right before the school year. Uh, and then the other one tore his hamstring, uh, I think like three games into the season. And then he just never, never got himself together again. And he quit late in January. Uh, he just couldn't do it. Uh, so, so now we, we got really, really young again. And, uh, and then last year we just, we just battled injuries. I mean, it it was incredible. We had six, seven guys I can put in a game, the last five games of the season. And, and that's it. We had eight in layup lines, Mm. uh, you know, and nine of you count a guy, we just pulled off the campus just to come in to help us practice. But I couldn't put him in a game. He didn't know what he was doing. And, and that's how we finished the year. And then, you know, this year, uh, we're starting to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, we, we've rebalanced our roster. Uh, so, you know, this year we're pretty good. You know, we, 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 we had a bad loss. Everyone, you know, everybody has a bad loss. It's just part of college basketball today's day and age. Cause we're all so young at the power five level, but we had some great wins and, you know, we just won double digit league games for the one, two, three, fourth time in the last five years. Um, we, we finished in the upper half of the league again, which is, uh, one, two, same thing, four times in the last five years. Uh, you know, and it's, uh, I think there's a lot of good momentum, uh, uh, again. And now this time I think we're better prepared. You know, I made some mistakes. I'm not going to say what the mistakes were because, uh, they involve players and I'm not talking about X's and O's. Um, they involve players and I'm never going to divulge what those things are because that's kind of what put us behind the eight ball a little bit and uh, and forced us to get really young again. But now we've rebalanced our roster to where I believe that we can sustain uh, success moving forward. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you look at Brad Underwood, you mentioned figure, these guys are doing incredible things on their own. Is is there yeah. kind of a fatherly pride to that? Uh, it's, it's, uh, and it all goes back to Hugs. You know, yeah. it's, uh, uh, it all goes back to him and he, he, he brought us all together, uh, and he empowered us. And then, uh, when I got my chance, I brought Fig in and I empowered him and the same way I empowered Brad and Delante, Delante be a head coach right now. If he had not gone through his personal, right. uh, uh, deals and, uh, but he's back on his feet again and, and he's doing real well and, and, and back in the business and, and doing what he's really good at it. We had, you know, whether it was Scott Greenwald or Andy Astley, we had an incredible group of people working together. Uh, and, uh, and Hudge empowered us. And then, like I said, when I got a chance, I empowered the guys. Uh, and it's funny because that's the way my high school coach was. He empowered us to be, uh, to coach the team, to, to be responsible. And then I go work for Hudge and he's the same way. So it was an easy learning thing for me. And, and, and one that reassured me that in college I can do it the same way, but that just goes to show, man, what special people we had, man. Uh, we, we had a, a special group of guys, you know, when, when you can see the, the enthusiasm that Brad generates everywhere he goes, uh, from a fan base and, uh, the communities and, and then obviously the basketball part, same thing with Matt figure. Uh, you know, he's created an enthusiasm at Austin P that's unbelievable. And, and, uh, he's won 20 something games his first three years as a head coach. Uh, impressive. Uh, yeah. And it's a special group of guys, man. I'm, I, I sit back and there's not a day that goes by that I don't realize how lucky I am. Those guys were with me because they, Matt could have said, no, I'm Frank, I'm not coming. You know, Brad could have packed his bags and, and left. You know, but they all came and wanted to be a part of what what we were trying to do, and uh, and stayed. And uh, I'm I'm forever grateful for that. Tim Weiser hiring Bob Huggins was a, an act of brilliance. It reset everything with Kansas State basketball. Erased, you know, the two coaches before, and went back to the expectations. You know, that went back to Jack Gardner, Tex Winter, Cotton Fitzsimmons, Jack Harmon. You know, you just go on and on. Lon Kruger and Dane Allman. Uh, it really reset everything for K-State basketball. But, man, it reset hugs, too. He That was a controversial hire at the time. And I didn't know Bob Huggins in person. Didn't know anything about him. And then I meet him. I'm like, this isn't the guy that people are describing his image has totally changed since that K-State hire. And I still, though, believe he's one of the most misunderstood guys in college basketball. He is one of the nicest men, but he does it with a growl. He's just kind of dogs. Like, you know, it, it, <laughs> he walked by me years ago, a few years ago, he before uh, we shut down our magazine, I think it was the game when West Virginia played K-State the year before they joined the conference. And he, he just walked by me and, uh, you know, he doesn't remember everyone's name. He was only here for one season. That's okay. That's cool. He just walks by and goes, 
I power cut illustrated. It was just so funny. It was like he just growled at me as he walked by. <laughs> I, I love the man. I, he's so good for college basketball. Um, I can't imagine K State basketball without Hugs being hired, and you and everyone else, Brad Underwood, coming as you know the the ops guy. And it's just amazing now looking back how how things have changed at Kansas State. Yeah, he, uh, you know, there, there's there's guys that when you have doubt uh, and you turn around and you look at who you're with, that doubt goes out the window. That's what Hugs does. Um, you know, I, when you work with him, there's days that you don't think you're any good. And somehow, some way, man, he comes into the room and all that doubt goes out the window. And, and there's not a person in the room that leaves saying, we got no chance. Do you remember uh, that his year at K-State? Kansas had like eight first-round picks on the yeah. team. And, and Texas had like seven. And yet he had us believing that with a six-foot-four power forward and Cartier Martin playing center, that we can go beat all these guys. And, and uh, we actually... Uh, did a pretty darn good job of it because we 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 finished. I think it was third in the league, fourth fourth yeah. in the league. Should have made and, the tournament. Uh, Should have. We got royally screwed out of that tournament. And uh, uh, but that's that's. Uh, I remember being in his house um, the night before he was announced as the head coach in Cincinnati. You know, and him saying to me, he goes, Frank, uh, this is an incredible place, wonderful people, uh, the president his vice president, the AD, uh, I had a great meeting with them. Um, this is the place he said, but I'm not going if you don't come. And I said, hugs, come on, man, wherever you're going, we're, let's roll. I'm in. And, uh, uh, and that's what we did. And, uh, so he called, we fall that night. Uh, we're sitting there, uh, told we fall, uh, that he's in and, uh, uh, make a long story short. We toasted, and the rest is history. And, uh, you know, K-State opened the door for him uh, that that he needed because uh, uh, he was so – he still is to this day so beloved in the community in Cincinnati. Uh, it's like he's an icon there. It's uh, what he did for that community, that university, uh, is, is will never be forgotten by anyone that's a part of that. And, and yet on the way out, uh, the world treated him as if he was the cheater and he was a no good human being. And it's the, the biggest disgrace that I've ever been a part of that somebody can get smeared in so many negative ways and not any of it be true. And uh, K-State kind of reopened that door for him in a community that that was going to love him. And then he walked into that room and he made everyone believe like, OK, we get ready to do this again. And, uh, and that's, that's the presence that he commands when he walks into any room and, and, and he's so authentic and so real, uh, that people that get around him, they're in 100%. And, and there's no doubt, uh, in their commitment because they know that he is fully committed. And, uh, I'll leave to give you an idea why this misperception exists. I get the job at K state and, uh, I call him, I don't know, like, you know, we talk all the time, but I call him a month later or whatever. We're just in a conversation. I said, all right, Hugs, I've never asked you this, but I need to ask you this now. If you can give me one bit of advice on what I need to be prepared to handle the right way, 
so I, I succeed, so I avoid, avoid failure, what would you say? He said, don't fight the media. He said, Frank, when they came after my guys in 1991 at Cincinnati, because I had a bunch of junior college guys, and they said there were a bunch of flunkies and that we didn't graduate anybody, I started to fight the media. He said, I'm so deep into this, I can't, I can't stop anymore. I got to keep going. But don't fight the media because you won't win. That's the advice he gave me that day, mm. and, and I'll never forget that. And, and because he fought the media to protect his guys, the media always made him to be a rebel, a renegade, uh, all these other things. And, and now, Fitz, keep hitting the fast-forward button. You've seen what's happening in college basketball over the last three years. And the guy that everyone made out to be like this, this bad guy, he keeps winning. And guess what he's not involved in? any of that stuff. Yeah. And uh, he, he's authentic. He's real. He doesn't cheat. Uh, he believes in his players and he believes in the people that believe in him. And that's, that's all that's ever mattered to him. You know, it's interesting to bring that up. I, I think that's maybe part of the reason, a subtle reason Bob Huggins fit so well at Kansas state when he was hired, because Bill Snyder was that renegade on the football side, taking junior college players Everyone at the time in the early 90s, it was like you were taking a leper. They had no business being on your team. There's, they're bad kids. They, they can't get grades. There, there were so many wrong opinions about junior college players. Sure, there's some kids there for grades that they can correct and a life they can turn around. And some kids are just bad and end up at junior college and you can't save them. We've seen that happen. But for the most part, the junior college players who have come through this institution that I cover have been really good kids, been really impressive kids. But in the early 90s, there was such a stigma around recruiting junior college players. Bill Snyder was just slaughtered in the media for for doing that. And then he proved, oh, you can compete for a national championship with a junior college quarterback and a junior college receiver and a junior college linebacker and junior college defensive tackle and on and on. And now everybody does it. The the game's just changed so much. It's a little bit less so in basketball because the junior college talent gets kind of watered down a little bit by prep schools and all that. But um, yeah, it was, it was a totally different world in college athletics with JUCOs, but I think nobody at K-State cared. And to your point, Bill Snyder was celebrated nationally at a higher level his second time around than he was in the early nineties because he had the junior college guys. Right. And and I don't think a lot of the national people respected, even though they won the big 12 and they were winning and there were a couple plays away from playing for a national championship. Um, I, I think a lot of the national people frowned. National writers, national uh, uh, educational folks frowned at the fact that K-State football was built on junior college guys. And uh, it's it's unfortunate because uh, I'm a JUCO guy. You know, when, when you come from the inner city and the inner city public schools, uh, you're not always prepared uh, to be an NCAA full qualifier. Right. Um, you're not prepared. And junior college gives everyone an option, a route. They eventually get to that place. And uh, uh, I don't know why it's always, it continues to be frowned on. Everybody views junior colleges as people that are not no, good enough. It, it's, it's, and it, that to me is the racist, the racist part of our educational system. 
is that we categorize folks and we put people in certain boxes based on their journey and where they come from, not based on their abilities and what they can one day accomplish. And to your point, all those junior college guys you've covered at K-State, K-State give them an opportunity. And because of that, they've become better men, better people, and continue to fulfill who they're going to become in life. And that's what education is all about. And that's why K-State uh, and Bob Huggins have, have been so great at, at what they do. Let's shift gears here to something near and dear to my heart for some reason, always has been, maybe because I was born in South Florida and and went back there holidays almost every, you know, Christmas, tropical Christmas feels normal to me, even though I grew up in Kansas. It's just one of those things. <laughs> When's Cuba going to get opened up? When are we going to get a real government in Cuba so we can all enjoy it and the people there can can flourish under a different system? Yeah. Um, you know, Fitz, it's, uh, it's one of the sad things in my lifetime up to this point is that uh, – uh, I have not seen that happen. Uh, and that's, uh, that was a dream of my grandmother before she passed. I know it's a dream of my mom and my uncle, uh, to be able to go one day, go back to the land that, uh, uh that, that, where they were born and, and, uh, the, the, you know, it's, uh, where their family, the origins are from. And, right. um, and, and not to, uh, even though, you know, like a couple of years ago when, you know, Obama, uh, they, they kind of lifted a lot of the sanctions right. and people were allowed to travel. There was fine print in there uh, that if you were born in Cuba or you're born in the United States, but you're first generation American, the, the Cuban government has the right to keep you if you're there visiting and the wow. American government could not do anything. Uh, so so even though we weren't going to go because my grandmother made us promise that we would never go back until Cuba was free because we don't want to support right. uh, the tyranny and the, 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 just the, the brutality that takes place there and, and the oppression that people are made to live under. We, so we, we choose not to support that. Number two, personally, uh, when Castro took over, uh, the majority of my family came, but there was a part of my family that stayed behind and became communist. And uh, so the side of my family that was here, never wanted to go back and support the the choices that the my family that stayed behind and joined the communist party uh were were all about so uh, but it's uh it's sad it's sad because that was uh i i've heard the stories and and i see it through my family's eyes of what a great destination that was it was the las vegas of the caribbean right um and uh uh, and and so many people from so many parts of the world, especially the United States, would go there to vacation. And uh, and the joy that people lived with, I know the joy and the pride uh, that the Cuban people that that my mother's age, my grandmother's age, who you know she's passed, uh, the the pride and the joy that they had for their home uh, and and for the quality of life for for how everything was done. Uh, I want to see that one day, uh, but unfortunately, the way it is right now, it's just not going to happen. I agree. I agree. The mob uh, certainly doesn't do many things the right way, but boy, they could build a casino. 
<laughs> and they did it in, in Havana first before Las Vegas, and it was absolutely incredible. They build casinos and they stay in business. Can't argue with those two things. <laughs> That's true. Uh, the, their ethics in doing so may not be great. And they're, they're, you, you might end up buried in the desert if you don't do it the right way. But, you know, hey, it, it works out. If you're just Joe Schmo like me showing up to have fun, it works out great. Yeah. Coach, I love you, man. I love you. I'm so glad you're doing well. And, and uh, uh, hug the wife for me. And someday we're going to uh, sit on a beach and outside of Havana and have a, have a drink together. I'm all in brother. I'm all in and, uh, uh, tell everyone I said hello and, uh, uh, and keep doing what you do, man. Keep fighting the fight. I will. You know, I will. Thanks coach. I'm determined to live long enough to take a trip to Cuba with Frank and our wives. He's one hell of a friend to have, but I don't think I would want to play for him. Hugs and Martin remain mostly loved in Manhattan, but some thought it was time for Frank Martin and his sideline antics and often abrasive language to move on. And although he wanted to stay in MHK for the long haul, he did move to South Carolina because life doesn't always work out the way you expect. You just deal with what is in front of you. Trust me, I know. My diagnosis of not just prostate cancer, but stage four cancer that spread into my bladder rocks my world. So men over 45, make sure you're getting your PSA scored, not once, but on a regular basis so your doctor can chart its movement. That's it for another episode, but I have so many more friends to call. You should probably do the same. This is Fitz. I'll talk to you real soon. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.